Welcome to Cult and Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to another episode of Cult and Classic Podcast. Here, this week, is our final episode for New Year, New Nick, the Nicolas Cage month-long celebration we've been doing where we go over pretty much Nicolas Cage movies decade by decade. We are in this last most recent decade, the 2010s to the 2020s, and we have a couple of very recent films from Nicolas Cage's resume to discuss, one of which just came out, mm, was it December, Greg, or was it January? Um, I think it was January. Um, it came out for DVD on like, oh no, nope. I think you're right. It was December. I don't have the date in front of me though, we, but yeah, crazy recent. We were sitting on it just for this special episode. Uh, we are big Nick Cage fans. And I just want to say uh, to everyone, thank you guys for listening. We're uh, up in the charts in Canada. Thanks to our Canadian listeners and our Indian listeners and our American listeners and Russian listeners and Australian listeners, all of our listeners. I'm sorry, there's so many that I can't even list them all, uh, but you're all wonderful and we appreciate it. And reach out to us at cultandclassicpodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram, cultandclassicpodcast, as well as pretty much every other social platform. So we've got two movies here. I think they're two very different levels of film. And I'm excited to talk about them both for different reasons. But first, I am Nate Wyckoff, your host, as always, comedian and film critic for HorrorNews.net. With us, we have our Nicolas Cage expert who has seen officially every Nicolas Cage movie that has been uh, done and produced and released so far. Greg Johnson, how are you doing today, Greg? Um, I was doing well up until I found out there's maybe a film I haven't seen called Brubaker. Um, but everything I found about that one was like trivia of like Nicolas Cage is supposedly an uncredited extra in some shot. And th this was like some, like, I think 79 or mate or something film. So it's before he even got into the business. So other than that, I'm doing great. <laughs> well, now we know what we're doing for next year. Brubaker. Poster! Um, so, <laughs> Yes, and that you just heard Mandy, Mandy Longley with us again. How are you doing, Mandy? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm super excited to be wrapping up uh, this month of Nick Cage because uh, it was super fun. And these are great movies to talk about. They are super fun movies to talk about. And he's an actor who has such an incredible um, breadth of work of all different categories, all different genres, all different levels. So it's it's just been a great time. And with us as well, rounding out our wonderful cast is Jeffrey Tucker. How are you doing, Jeff? Put me in, coach. I got words. You got you got words. Excellent. The words are mightier than the alien space saber, as we will not find out today. Okay. So this first movie, um, I saw it when it came out in the in the direct-to-video streaming Redbox arena. It's from 2019, and it is called Primal. Not to be confused with Jenji Tartavosky's animated Adult Swim series about a, uh, a caveman. This is a film where Nicolas Cage plays an illegal wildlife smuggler who is taking a rare white jaguar from... I don't know, is he, is he Brazil? I'm not sure, I can't remember. I, so they say Brazil, but then they're speaking Spanish and it sounds like they're leaving from Mexico. So I have no idea where I, they were. I, I don't, I, and I'm certainly no expert. Um, it's all international waters. They're, right, they're, so they leave on a, this, this rickety boat. 
that uh, apparently Nicolas Cage's character has some has some ties to. He likes the kid of the one of the ship runners and and everything like that. And uh, who shows up? But Fomke Jensen, uh, Jean Grey from the Michael Singer X Men series, the the first trilogy, and so on. Uh, who is some? She's a military psych psychologist and doctor of some kind she's a doctor i guess and they're transporting a dangerous like counterinsurgency agent turned rogue serial killer essentially on board so this this team of hard-ass military personnel are taking a wisecracking uh, jake busey-esque man across waters and he's uh, of course breaks free sets all the dangerous animals free uh that nicholas cage has brought on board and uh, the military and Nick Cage have to. There's you think they'd work together, but really they come to come to blows at almost all times, and uh, that's kind of what happens. And it, it rounds up with you know action and murder and blood and and just the kind of thing you'd expect. Uh, and Kevin Durand is the the man who played um, the the killer. Uh, and he does a real good job chewing up the scenery. Uh, he was he was Little John in the um, the 2010 Robin Hood. Uh, he was Gabriel in Legion. I think that's what I remember him most from. But he does a good job, I feel, uh, because he does play his part really big. And this is a film where subtlety is not important. Um, so it plays a lot, in my opinion, like sort of a mid-90s B-to-C-level action star film. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Um, these are films that are better than, than no-budget direct-to-video often. Like, this is something that in 95, they would have tried to shoehorn Steven Seagal in. Um, and it, it would have been god-awful horrible because Steven Seagal, unlike Nicolas Cage, cannot act his way out of his own horrendous backstory. And... I found myself following along. It was nothing surprising, but I actually thought that it moved at a strong clip. And uh, we'll, we'll, there's some things to talk about, but I want to hear your guys' feedback first. Greg, uh, you recommended this film to us to pair together with our second film, which we'll talk about after the break. What was your first impression of this film, and how do you feel now that you've seen it again? Um, I think the first time um, I was a little bit kind of... I don't know, maybe taken aback by the pacing. I thought it kind of was just a little choppy at bits, but second go around, I thought it was perfect. Um, I liked this movie a lot more on the second go around. Um, like you said, um, Jansen, I mean, she's great. She's very fun. It's kind of wild that her and Cage are the exact same age. Um, Kevin Durand, I mean, he, yeah, he really does. He chews it up, which is so funny to see like, Cage at this straight man with a bunch of quips, and then Kevin Durant is the like wacky wild one. Um, and then, um, I, I didn't realize until the second go around, it, but I was told it in the first one. Um, Michael Imperioli, um, of um, The Sopranos, mm -hmm. um, like it, it, it's just a fun cast. Um, I, I've described it to people as a, a low key snakes on a plane, but it's animals on a boat um yes it kind of is yeah it it's fun i loved it i think i recommended it because um we we had no idea what jujitsu would be which we'll get into that and i knew <laughs> that this would at least be solid popcorn fare and i think that's a, a really good way to this is i think 
like the epitome of a great popcorn movie because I didn't have to think too hard, but neither was I ever bored. Um, and and I do want to mention, so I'm a big Fomke Jensen fan. I really like her. Um, I think she did a great job playing Jean Grey's character in X-Men. I honestly never really liked Jean Grey's character. She was kind of like the mom that wasn't super warm. Um, like your friends, you'd go over to their house and she would give you like treats or milk cookies, but you never felt like any sort of warmth from her. So you just kind of kept your distance and talk as little as possible. That was Jean Grey. And she played that role really well in Singer's X-Men series. Um, it's impossible though, not to touch on the fact that as we've seen in the news, Swanky Jensen did have a fair amount of facial work done, fillers and other things. And I do feel, and who knows what stage, when you get fillers of different kinds, they take a while to settle. So sometimes they seem really extreme for a while. And oftentimes we get people who get cast for films somewhere in the middle of that process of settling. So they look a little different and we're not used to it. Of course, Renee Zellweger was a big example of that and more. Uh, Famke Jensen is sort of in this moment. She's She doesn't look like she looked like before when we're used to seeing her. Um, and I actually think in a Halle Berry-esque way, it's kind of hindered her performance a bit because she can't physically emote very much. Her mouth moves, her eyes never move. Um, and it's I don't think it's a lack of skill because we've seen what she can do, but it is sort of a hindrance of, of physical augmentation. And of course, uh, she's a woman who's aging like all of us. And so I'm sure that the pressure is incredible. I cannot imagine it. I don't. Uh, hey, we love drag queens here on Cult and Classic Podcast. I cannot uh, ever chastise anyone, and I never would think of it for facial surgery. But it is something that I noticed straight away on this movie. Um, Mandy, what was your take on this movie? And did you notice that? Yeah, I'm not to the degree that you did, but I was just like, oh, I know her from somewhere, but she looked different enough that I had trouble placing her. Um, and yeah, like you pointing out that she and Nick Cage are the same age, but he looks so grizzled. And yeah. she's just like, ah! <laughs> rays of sunshine and whatnot. She looked, she looked really great. Uh, but yeah, like uh, almost like a little uncanny recognizable for me. Um, a little trouble placing her. I really like this movie. Like you said, great popcorn fare. I thought I was like a solid right down the middle, like not great, not terrible. Definitely improved by the cast that was put together. Like having Nick Cage on the film, like definitely gave it a boost um, for like the weirdness factor that he brings to it. Kind of almost made you buy into the whole animals on a boat thing a little bit more and made it more fun and like, cagey campy <laughs> kind of fun cagey campy fun um his his lines and quips were pretty good um overall uh i was disappointed that they didn't do more with the parrot i texted you guys all saying like if they don't do something this parrot <laughs> it would be really upset and they didn't really like i mean there was like that final joke at the end yeah that, where, that's but, really the but, extent of it but that was it. I was really hoping it would be kind of like the linchpin in some kind of final action sequence. Um, and it wasn't. And I felt that was a missed opportunity. So let's talk about that. They so set that up. The parrot is introduced early in the film um, when we see Cage um, hauling off these many, uh, you know, illegally many. We assume most of them are illegally gained animals because he doesn't have the mm -hmm. proper paperwork. Uh, he's driving them away from the small village. And um, 
the kids are talking about his parrot and he's like it's not my parrot and then uh, and he's trying to steal his food and he shoes it away and then we learn as he's talking to another kid uh, on the boat who he seems to identify he seems to only really like children and we get the sense he likes animals even though he's doing this immoral and illegal activity that is not in the animal's best interest um but he seems to care about them and children and he really otherwise is really distasteful of people and pretty he's gross i mean he eats like a like a pig and he's he looks as you said grizzled um and he kind of just curses off everyone around him and he does a great job at it um i actually mm -hmm. the physicality um of the scene where we're introduced to the military people and what and Fonka johnson and what they're doing on the ship is in the mess hall and cage's performance of eating is one of those things where another actor would just not have done so much with it i mean we get a lot from that uh just his he eats like a pig is like an animal he's does not give one shit it's almost a show it's almost more than just this is how an animal would eat and this is how i'm eating to show you that i could not care less for you or your values or your social system or anything whatsoever uh, it's definitely for the benefit of the other players uh, and i liked that the parrot is uh, we learn was uh, a portuguese sailor i think uh his parrot and that person died and then when he was at a bar somewhere cage uh fed it and now it won't leave him alone and we see it a couple of times in the movie and then at the end of the movie and he says i don't want to name it because once you name it it's yours forever so at the end of the movie they're on deck the the rescue team has arrived the villain is gone and the bird shows up and it's super wet and shaking off and then it lands on his hand and he's like hey einstein like whatever so he's clearly named it and he's petting it it's it's talon as the the camera goes away and and he's asking if he wants to you know move with him to uh where Fomke johnson's character uh told him to look her up basically I have to wonder if there's some deleted bits because mm -hmm. why is the bird wet? Um, it's right. not, it's not, it doesn't seem to be raining and they didn't like have a big water explosion in the movie, but the bird, it's like a super clear shot that the bird lands and is like ridiculously wet. Um, mm -hmm. And so I don't know exactly what's the deal with that, but I- too There was like exposition about how he got the yeah. bird, characteristics of the bird, like skill sets of the bird. And then there's just this big blank section in the movie where it doesn't show up and nothing happens. And then there's a throwaway joke at the end. Like he calls it Einstein, which was a joke that he made when he was talking to the kid about it. Like the kid's like, oh, we can talk. Like, look at all the stuff he say. He's like so smart. He's like, yeah, he's a regular Einstein. Like, and then yeah. he calls him Einstein at the end. Well, it's like, but there's this huge gap in the middle. And I even went back and like scanned through the movie. I'm like, did I just miss something? Was he in the background? And I was just like spaced out or like, nope. I just don't think he's in there at all. Yeah, because that the plotting, final throwaway line. Because the plotting I feel like is fairly well paced. And yeah. it makes sense at least. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm my guess is is that there was something that was either a deleted scenes or it was written out of the script during yeah. production. So mm. it never made it to screen and they just kept that stuff in because like you said, it, it lends for at least a cute joke at the end. Because there are yeah. opportunities for him to interact with the other animals besides the, the jaguar more. Um now 
this is an important time before we get to Jeff, because I do want to hear what you have to say. Uh, unlike Tad, who couldn't make it here today, and I don't give a shit what he has to say. I'm just kidding, Tad. We love you. Uh, wow, miss so you. mean to Tad. <laughs> this is just even my when way he's not checking. here. This is my way of checking to see if my my castmates listen to our podcast when they're not here. Is I just insult them on the air and and wait for the text to come later. But is the animals are um, often 3D animated. The jaguar is completely 3D animated. Um, and then some of the, at one point, some of the some of the poor birds get shot by the villain, and those are obviously three D animated. That happens. And then I, I think there are monkeys, and I think they actually have a couple of real ones in there on occasion. Um, but there are certain times when it's very clearly three D. And um, which I think, I mean, we've talked about this, I think, in a couple movies we've seen before. When you're going to have CGI and you're really not putting the money in the budget, or you're not sure how it's going to end up, just just do what Primal did and put your fucking CGI in shadows. Like, figure yes. it out. And and it's one of those things where I feel like in 2000, the effects would have been top-notch. And, like, they would have been very good. And now, they're good, but they're, they're like, we're never going to trick you. Like, it's not going to... You know this is not a real animal. So, um they went the other route, which is smart too, where they clearly did a lot of motion capturing or use pre-done movement motion capturing from big cats because the, the Jaguar moves pretty believably. And they did a good job of not, um, like we, we talked about G-Force last, last uh, episode. And when they have a human interact with the character, it was very floaty and not like realistic. So the, the couple times they did it, it didn't work. In Primal, they avoid that altogether there's there's pretty much there's very very few 3d animated creature touching real actor to, to have a problem so they avoided that um and it's not to say they're not in the same shot they're not a bunch of um you know insert shots where it's just here's a cat here's nick cage here's a cat here's nick cage of course they have those but then they have them together and it's effective i think so i give them kudos for that especially i didn't expect this to have that kind of budget um, but I think it must have had some adequate budget for, uh, you know, a direct to streaming, direct to rental fare, because it did feel like something that would have touched the theaters, you know, even 10, maybe 20 years ago. Jeff, what was your expectation of Primal and what was your take on after you've seen it? Good question, Nate. Thanks for asking. Um, so I actually expected this to be a little bit more snakes on the plane. Uh, it, it, it doesn't really... Like a lot of the the animals are end up being more like props. Uh, you have like the snake used at the end. It's essentially the equivalent of the uh, being tied to a log and, and approaching the, the the saw or the um, ticking time bomb with the counter yeah, going down. Yeah, it's 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 essentially it's a you know replacement prop rather than being like in snakes on a plane. Like they were like really generating you know uh, tension and fear and like they it was essentially the the, the snakes had the plane. And the people like had lost their agency and were like just trying to survive. Um, in this, it felt like a little bit more adjacent to me, and I was I was a little disappointed in that. But I, I think the per performance of the actors, and I understand why they didn't, because you know obviously it costs a lot of money to do, uh, you know that type of production. Um, so I, I think they recovered pretty well, but it did feel a little bit like a taunt. You know, you, you have that scene in the beginning with like this big truck full of like clearly animals like a bunch of caged yeah. animals and it's like it it didn't 
like follow through the way I expected where like they were going to be a big part of the action and they were going to really drive uh, the drama going forward. And it, it didn't really have, uh, it didn't have that fruition. So it felt a little bit like a taunt to me. Um, like they were like promising me something that they just couldn't deliver because of like, obviously like budgetary and uh, you know, animal work is very difficult. Um, and, uh, and expensive. You know, expensive yeah so yeah i i totally i totally agree with you on that actually because the fact that he's a big game hunter really it's it's you could write the animals out of this script um yeah. i did de they definitely add a flavor and so i'm glad they're there um and it's just a unique twist on a what could be a very tired plot um but the tension most exclusively comes from uh the serial killer on board and we call him a serial killer because he acts like a serial killer, although his backstory does not really make him seem like a serial killer. It makes him seem like a rogue agent who uh, couldn't, you know, couldn't deal with civilian life. But at the same time, he knew that he was going to get, you know, snatched by the, the cops. So um, the aftermath of every writer putting a Heath Ledger character into their film from Dark Knight. From the Dark Knight, yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I think Heath Ledger's take on the Joker had basically every villain then became a crazy person who was also incredibly charming and intelligent and super in some ways. Um, but of course, the difference is, is that you're working with a Goyer Nolan script in Dark Knight and an actor who truly created that role. Um, and so everything else not everything but many other things are like a pale comparison right like you you instead get the um uh, kevin Durant's. he's just a good old boy who smiles a lot and likes to kill people like that's just really what we get and then there's also this subplot that the nsa is trying to silence him or wants to use him and reactivate him somewhere so they're actually killing the military members who want to just kill him at this point because he's loose and he's hurting people I don't know. I don't know what to, to think about that. It added another piece to the puzzle to keep the tension up. Um, but it was just another device. There's no like, uh, there's, there's no real message or purpose for that. And I think that was sort of a missed opportunity for me in, and that's across the board is the backstory. Because when we actually get Nicolas Cage's character's backstory, I kind of expected there to be more to it. And I wonder if there was. And by the way, his character's name is Frank Walsh. So they call him Frank throughout the movie. And Frank's backstory is essentially that he worked for a bunch of zoos, eight and 10 years. And uh, with, and then Famke Jensen's like, you have a problem with authority, clearly. And then they leave it at that. And apparently that's just his whole issue. He had a problem with authority. And so uh, he became a boozy animal hunter. And <laughs> I don't really... I, I mean, realistic, maybe not everyone's got these crazy backstories that get resolved when they face a serial killer on a boat, but uh, I expected something a little more. Luckily, the action kind of held up. The other thing I want to talk about, and I'll just mention this um, because I've already talked about Fomke Jensen's, uh, you know, enhancement work, the makeup crew for people on this is god awful horrible in my opinion um because you get the, it's like they can do grimy well because nick cage looks exactly what you expect he's always got like the sheen of sweat on him um just just kind of grimy looking and his hair is lanky 
and uh and then the poorer characters like the kid and stuff on the boat they look uh, appropriately lower middle class kind of you know unbranded shirts that sort of thing but then you get the military crew of Famke Jansen and then all the other white characters um and I mentioned white characters because for some reason they're they're painted in like clown white um it's like a really shockingly white faces um sort of like how in in the insidious films by james wan like the dead spirits are just normal looking except that they're all white faced with red rouge um and it's it's sort of it was jarring to me i actually thought when i first saw Fonke jensen because she's one of the first ones they focus on when she steps out of like the military suv she has big sunglasses on and a hat and a, and a you know high-throated suit jacket i thought maybe there was like a reveal or something that she was like wearing a mask i thought there was something else involved that's how strikingly different it was than the other people on the boat and i don't know if anybody else noticed that um it might be too that in different you know different television settings things pop out a lot more but it was one of those things where i was like wow somebody did not handle things consistently throughout the movie makeup wise um by the same token just happy that there was a makeup person because a lot of the films that we come across they don't have the budget for that so every every actor is their own makeup person and uh we've seen donald trump and how that turns out um you know i i regarding the makeup i i think you know this isn't quite right next door but if we look at the the poster that you've um put as the backdrop um that jaguar looks nothing like the one in the movie. In fact, that thing in the poster, I, like, it looks like it's a cheetah. It looks like they stole it from, um, there's some other, like, movie set in Africa that I think has that exact same image, like, as the backdrop. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely not the same jaguar. Um, and Avatar? It, it could be a jaguar, but it's, it's so. Uh, it looks like the eyes from Avatar. Yeah, it kind of does. So let's and like that isn't doesn't the 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 movie poster for Avatar just look like that? The two eyes, the two eyes, and the wide yeah. nose. So let's yeah. let's talk about the 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 realness, quote unquote, of this film. Um, several times, uh, noted animal expert Frank Walsh, Nicolas Cage's character, says that jaguars are not man eaters. Now. This, of course, changes in the film when he there's the climax in which he allows the uh, a man to get eaten by the jaguar. I mean, I guess I see what he's saying. They're not as large as other cats, but they have certainly attacked people. Uh, and in fact, they were quite they're quite feared um, in 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 yeah. olden times and probably still by people who live near them because they they have these giant. If you see them. Uh, if you go to a zoo we have one right next door uh, where i live down here in palm desert and it's like they have jaws like a pit bull almost they're like a cat with this really powerful jaw more so than leopards uh and and of course cheetahs who, who couldn't and wouldn't really attack a human so that was a weird touch to me there were some other ones in here 
and I'm trying to remember what they were, but they, they say things that just don't make sense. And you're just like, don't check up on this. And it reminded me of like a Michael Bay Transformers film where they say things as though they make sense and operate under that, but then they don't make any sense at all. Like uh, in Transformers, uh, it's like, we have to take the cube to the city. No, that's the worst place to take a giant marauding band of violent robots bent on killing humanity is to the center of a city. I'm sorry that you have to relocate the action to a desert to lessen casualties. Um, but because they say it and then they just move on with the plot, you're not really given much time to, to fret and consider it. Well, so, going back to the parrot, I mean, the parrot is, you know, he says Einstein to establish, you know, he's dismissive of the bird. But then at the end, he says it to show he's changed and he's endeared to it. And it's, the you know, the dog dad never wanted and says he hates. Um, mm -hmm, and I, like I mean, the the jaguar and him saying it's a man it's not a man eater is all for whatever whatever silly ass quip he says at the end of the movie after it literally eats a man yeah. um in the same way don't touch the monkey's baby inevitably someone touches the monkey's baby and gets <laughs> mauled it. every animal is basically just like a little chekhov's pistol like lying around the strange armament of stuff to come which is why it's unexpected that the parrot then doesn't have a bigger role because you see it and they <laughs> yeah. introduce it and they spend a moment on it um, I will say too that the babies, so this is clear. It's clear that they know what they're doing to a certain extent. They're like, okay, the, the monkeys are going to kill the, uh, and by the way, our reviews as always are spilled with, filled with spoilers. I don't think anything we ever say detracts from the overall enjoyment of a film. And if it does, or I think it will, then I would tell you, but the monkeys kill the mess hall chef and they're kind of like, Oh, this guy's going to die. We don't want people to feel bad for him. So in the one shot that he has earlier in the film, when all the characters are in the mess hall, we're going to have him be a huge asshole uh, and, and uh, shout at a guy in a language he doesn't understand, slap his hand and be just a dirty, nasty asshole. And then we're going to have him try and kill cute monkeys with a meat, uh, a meat ax. And, uh, and, and then, of course, it's fine because then he's going to go for one of the babies and the mama's going to rip his face off because we all know in America, that's what monkeys do. Um, yeah, no, I enjoyed that. And it was interesting what this movie put me in the mind or made me think of, and we'll talk about it also with jujitsu, is it's clearly, to me, made by people who've played video games. And the reason I say that is because it's, it's designed and plays and filmed a lot like... Um, a 90s survival horror video game like Dino Crisis or even the original Resident Evil films because it's on a ship, it's close corridors, and there's lots of characters getting locked or at least one instance of a character getting locked in a room. They can see him, but they can't get in. Um, people looking for people under like pipes in the boiler room and steam vents, lots of, and the, the tension comes from you don't know what's around the corner. You know, when you open the door, somebody could be right there. And all of those things happen in this. And I think they're effective. Uh, it's again, you're not going to be terrified and wet yourself in this film. I don't think that's what it's for. It's to give you the level of interest to see what happens, see how it plays out and see if there's a little arc for a character. Frank Walsh's Nicholas Cage's character, Frank Walsh, he does, they, they put that he has this arc. Um, but I kind of feel like he's like, I'm not a good guy. And Famke Johnson's like, prove to me you're a good guy. And he's like, I can't. Uh, and, and then at the end, 
She's like, you might be a good guy after all, because instead of selling the cat, he's going to take it to uh, a breeding zoo or a breeding reserve. And it's almost doesn't feel like he's actually changed so much, but what he has done is he's become he's he's starting to feel for this cat because he you can tell he appreciates the beauty he talks about it actually great touches like in the background he'll be talking to someone about like did you see the musculature on that animal like he's clearly very interested and appreciative and we know that he has a background with animals outside of uh trapping and hunting them and we've never seen him physically injure an animal and and so his his like uh when the spoiler alert when the villain is fed to the uh the jaguar which is kind of a great scene it's like eight millimeter light nicholas cage like he's gruesome but in a very like safe like no no it's not it's not terrifying way when he does that he sort of has this new respect for the animal and it feels almost like a trade like or yeah you're cool animal i'm gonna take you somewhere special um, as opposed to, I now have a better outlook on life and selling animals to people where they may not be able to take care of them properly is wrong. I don't think that's the arc at all. I think that's way too much to ask for. Uh, I don't know how you guys uh, feel about it's, that. It, it's a lot more positive uh, outlook on it than I thought he was being a little creepy and possibly manipulative towards this love interest. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly could be but played yeah. It was just, it was just a little, it felt a little weird and off to me, but um, I like your perspective. It's nice. Well, and it, as we say, love interest, they don't make out or anything. And thank God, because it would be so out of place in this film, but I did is, like that. I like yeah. that, that, you know, they kind of end on this, like, yeah, they, you know, they kind of mistook each other at first and maybe learned about each other, but ultimately, Hey, like this isn't a romance. <laughs> right. And I want to I want to give a shout out to to another actor in this cast, Michael. Uh, uh, my brain, um, not Imperioli. Michael Imperioli, who uh, you I actually didn't remember him from The Sopranos, which is shocking. But now I realize I remembered him as Midnight in Summer of Sam, um, and 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 you can check him out there as well. Uh, but we also had um, as sort of the head military guy, um, we we had La Monica Garrett and. I I recognized him from playing the monitor in the the crossover Crisis on Infinite Earths uh, DC TV uh, event, and so if if you recognize his face, it could be from that. He does an okay job, but they give him kind of a shit role. He gets the um, I'm just a hard ass for no reason, and everyone's gonna listen to me, and I'm gonna make everything more difficult because no one's gonna like me. There's no reason for it. Uh, but that is the character he's given, and it's really just to get unceremoniously killed late in the movie. So as we kind of get to the close of this, of discussing Primal, I think my bigger take is that action movies that hit theaters have changed, and it's it's caused the movies that we, the sort of popcorn action film that we that we sometimes remember uh to go direct to video because this film would have been in theaters i think 15 years ago um and the way that they tend to change is i think that action movies tend to have to be more brutal and also there's usually this this humanist bent somewhere that's supposed to make you feel depressed if that's if there's any other way to say that like i think of um the 
the Daniel Craig, James Bond films, as opposed to, you know, the, the Roger Moore, Sean Connery, James Bond films, you know, characters die in those, but you really don't have an emotional attachment. You're there to see the, you know, debonair guy be debonair. And, um, whereas in the Daniel Craig ones, you know, I mean, Casino Royale opens with a fairly brutal murder scene, uh, that our, our protagonist takes. And those are the kind of, and I really enjoyed this upping of the ante and the, the questioning, the moral, com the moral, uh, stand that we as viewers take by watching an action film where tons of people die. But that said, there's definitely room for a movie like primal. And I feel like they are sort of forgotten and, and we're moving away. And as things have become so serious and frustrating with our political situation in the United States and elsewhere, and of course, COVID-19 ravaging the planet uh, or rather ravaging the uh, human inhabitants of the planet. I think many parts of the planet are just fine. It's, it's sort of, I think there's a market for these to come back. And I think when theaters do reopen, which they will in some capacity as vaccines become more readily available, I think we're going to see a lot more of these films returning to theaters because people just can't always think about the hard stuff. So I'm, I'm curious to see if it ends up being that movies like Primal, popcorn action movies where people die, but it's really about kind of staying on the edge of your seat and enjoying the ride, if those are going to be the have a revival and a resurgence um, i mean in many ways that's what the marvel universe films under kevin Feige have been right i'm never at any point in time really afraid for any of the characters in a marvel movie not because they don't die but because i'm not really left to suffer that much um funny quips happen when there's a big sad part i mean the saddest part of the marvel universe is in my opinion when captain america uh, leaves Peggy and that's in Captain America one. And that's, that's years and years old. So, you know, uh, they play it safe. And I think that there's going to be more of that in the future. And it might be that independent or non-theater run films is where we end up going for our dark and gritty broody stuff more often. And I think Warner brothers is kind of betting on that as well with the way they've been doing their superhero films going forward off on a big tangent. But uh, we're going to wrap this segment on 2019's Primal with the fantastic Nicolas Cage up by asking, as always, who would recommend it and to who? Jeff, would you recommend Primal and why? Yeah, I mean, I think just like the 90s action fan. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think this would be in theaters uh, if it had like a budget and like they maybe went down a little bit more of that animal path. I think it would have been a really great film in that case. I think it would have been really exciting and uh would have been would even had me even on, more on the edge of my seat um and uh i i i mean i think that the opening scene to this movie kind of almost had the most life like it really was um it felt like alive um and i feel and that's like when he's in the jungle that, as opposed to on the yeah, ship yeah yep. he's in the jungle and like he's actually catching the uh, uh the big albino cat there uh and he yeah it, it just it feels alive it feels um feels like if if the rest of the film had like kept that uh it would have been uh, it would have been something special fair point fair point mandy would you recommend primal and why sure i'd recommend this movie i think for anyone who is a, a fan of nick cage a, a fan of anyone else in the cast uh be a fan of crazy animal type movies or just like light medium action films I guess gonna you're gonna be very pleased with this one 
and enjoy your popcorn. Excellent choice. Greg, would you recommend Primal and why? Um, as always, I'll try and approach it from two angles. Um, the one being, if you're just here for Cage, yeah, 100%, I recommend it. Um, he's great in it. It's a lot of fun. It's a different enough angle you'll enjoy it. If you're just here because you're into movies, generally speaking, I mean, it's a 50-50. It's a I think anyone into action flicks, you you should like it. Um, I think, Jeff, you really hit the nail on the head and how I felt the first time um, thinking, you know, a little more snakes on the plane from this. Um, so, I mean, you're, you're going to have to go in it, into it and take a gamble, but ultimately I'd say, yeah, if you like action films, it's worth a shot. Fair point. And yeah, I agree. And when we say snakes on a plane, snakes on a plane is really a ridiculous film. Like it's very entertaining, but it is highly ridiculous. It's sort of the, um, you know, I mean, in the first, what, 10 minutes, you have um, a woman trying to have sex in an airplane bathroom, exposing her super fake breasts, and then getting them, uh, her nipple instantly bit by a, a ceiling snake. So, I mean, you know, you're not in for seriousness. This is more on the lines of a serious film. I really do feel like it, it sort of speaks to the under siege uh, era of films, um, die hard, but with a little smaller scale. And, uh, and as Jeff said, it does have a smaller budget than those, but I have a feeling most people would be surprised if they tend towards the direct-to-streaming features, that this one is solidly made um, and has a, a sort of a bigger, I would assume a bigger budget to back it off. Um, Nick Powell's the director on this one, and Nick Powell is worked on a lot of film, big films in stunts. Um, he, he was in The Last Samurai and Born Identity in the stunt team. Um, and he also directed the 2014 film Outcast uh, with Nick Cage as well. Um, so another really good one. Yeah. And, and, uh, and there's so there's no, you know, he's no stranger to Nick Cage. And it's nice when you see directors and, and teams work together again, because I, it shows that, oh, if I like this person and they're working with this person, I, I probably can support them with uh, good feelings. Um, you know, one more thing. I, I really hope that this is just the um, unofficial prequel to what will be that Nicolas Cage and Tiger King TV show. <laughs> <laughs> He's a big I, game hunter who it's like, you know what? I should donate this to a, a reservation. You know what? I should run a reservation. Seriously. I, we've mentioned it a couple times on this podcast, but Nicolas Cage is set to play uh, the titular Tiger King in a series about uh, Joe Exotic. And I cannot wait um, because the only thing that could be crazier than the reality and more out there and super watchable than the mess that is Joe Exotic and private uh, for-profit animal reserves is Nicolas Cage playing Joe Exotic, the uh, the homosexual mullet wearing president running uh attempted murdering uh inmate that is uh still seeking a pardon from our idiot president donald trump so and you know he's been working on that voice for like months now and he's gonna it's gonna be just brilliant so i can't wait for that <laughs> there's there's a lot to look forward to in 2021 um yeah well for me primal I'd recommend it to anyone that wants this kind of action film. And this kind of action film is what we've been talking about. It's a popcorn movie. I don't think you'll be disappointed. A lot of different types of people can watch it. And 
sure, maybe you won't remember it until you see it on a shelf somewhere down the line at a store. Um, it's not going to break any barriers, but it really is elevated by the cast. Nicolas Cage, he makes choices. And sometimes those choices maybe aren't as they, maybe they're out of place um, to us as viewers, but a lot of times they really stick. And there's some great scenes, like I said, the cafeteria scene, but also when he's super drunk and he's kind of starting to flirt with Famke Jansen or trying to, and she just shuts him down essentially and walks away. And he's not given, or he at least doesn't read a quip there. He actually has this super like realistic, like shut down, like just, just oh. crash. Like his whole thing is just shut down. I'd also like to say I really appreciated his tired dad moments in this. Where he's like walking the kid up the stairs in the ship, like total like dad, like body language, tone of voice, everything. And then like there's a scene where he's telling like the kid, uh, and there's like to stay in the room. He like lock the door, like basically like he says it in his voice, like he said it a thousand times to his kid, like tired dad mode. Yeah. And it was and it was so kid, natural. He's of father of two. Yes. But it was just like, it, that felt supernatural and like very real about the character as well. Yeah, there's something about seeing an actor who really understands the craft of acting and makes choices amongst other people or even a production in general that isn't necessarily up to their capability. They stand out. It's almost, it's almost sometimes look like something's wrong when you see someone who's very skilled in, in sort of a mismatch production. I don't think Primal is a mismatch. I think that he fits fine, but he definitely stands out as a strong uh, component of the film. So that's a recommend from me. And uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back with the brand new 2020 film, Jiu-Jitsu. Hey, cult and classic crew, friends and fiends of the pod, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Nate, I don't have any money, and if I did, I'd be spending it on cool things like buttons and custom trading cards and zines that are unique and made each week by the cult and classic podcast family. And guess what? You can do both of those things at once. You can support cultandclassicpodcast.com and get awesome swag like buttons and custom trading cards that are printed on actual trading card stock by actual trading card printers and autographed by the artist and also zines like classic issues of rearted with comics and illustrations and interviews as well as brand new cult and classic podcast family publications that uh, are brand new so you'll get them first in line these are awesome awesome things that you can get just by joining our patreon at patreon.com slash cult and classic podcast for as little as a dollar a month you can get videos of our episodes you can see all our lovely shining faces as well as exclusive content like extra episodes film reviews book reviews and things like commentary by us on our short films which you'll also be able to see if you want to pay a little more five dollars a month per se us then you get an awesome autographed custom trading card these are official printed uh, at the same place that prints every other trading card you've ever bought and they're autographed by the artist these are exclusively for cult and classic podcasts and inspired by our episodes they you can't get them anywhere else except through us only five dollars a month you get it shipped right to you shipping is free if you pay $10 a month, if you are a true drinker of the Kool-Aid for cultandclassicpodcast.com, then you will get uh, the trading card, access to all of the content that is exclusive to Patreon members, 
and you will get a brand new zine every month, whether it's a classic uh, copy of Rearded Zine uh, with interviews, comics, art, all sorts of cool stuff, or brand new Cult and Classic Podcast family publications. Those will get sent straight to your door. Plus there's usually extras like pins, stickers, all sorts of cool stuff. So you're doing two great things. You're spending money on awesome swag and you're supporting Cult and Classic Podcast. I know it's tough right now in the pandemic. If you can do it, join us at Cult and Classic Podcast Patreon. If you can't, why don't you recommend it to a friend? We all have those rich friends and uh, they can spread it around a little more. I'm just going to say it. All right. Thank you so much. And uh, as always, Cult and Classic Podcast loves you. And we are back. We are going to discuss 2020's film Jiu-Jitsu. Now, Jiu-Jitsu is a martial art. There's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I guess this stretches back to um, uh, Japanese form of martial arts. And uh, it's pretty well-rounded, I'm told. So I'm not an expert, but I guess it it, it deals with uh, fighting armed and unarmed opponents, being armed and being unarmed. So there's a lot of martial arts in this film. It is a martial arts film. It is also uh, a predator ripoff. So let's imagine this. There is an alien who comes to Earth to hunt great warriors who are people. And there are people who are trying to not die in this film. Uh, However, everyone is a martial arts expert. That includes military personnel in the United States. That includes the alien. They're all, if you hear the exhaustion in my voice already, it's because there is so much wrong with this film um, for such an interesting, if not bizarre premise uh, that I it's a little hard to decide where to start so i'll just i'll just try to start at the beginning so nicholas cage by the way is in this movie he's not the lead character but we'll get there uh so jujitsu is uh about uh, a character jake uh elaine mousy who or musai i don't unfortunately know how to pronounce his name although i've seen several of his films um, i believe he was a stuntman could be wrong uh, but he's uh, attractive and he clearly knows martial arts and how to fall so kudos to him good job uh, I, I'm, I'm not reading him for that. It's definitely a place uh, for him in cinema. But he plays this character who has amnesia because he was attacked in the opening scene by uh, an invisible foe hurling metal ninja star discs. Uh, and like not just one or two, but like 30,000 of them all through the jungle. And he j- ends up getting hit with one and leaps off a cliff into the ocean. And uh, then he's picked up by U.S. military who are doing some sort of operation in this neck of the woods um, because they think people are selling, mining and selling uranium. Um, They think he's one of them. But turns out, as his friends show up, that he's actually a part of like some time-honored group of warriors who show up every six years. This is not a little occurrence. This is not like once every hundred years. This is every six years an alien beams into this Buddhist temple and then must fight and kill nine honorable warriors. Otherwise, he'll go on a rampage and eliminate like entire villages. Um, I don't know what to do with that, but that's the plot. Uh, and we find out that Jake uh, actually turns tail and ran instead of fighting. So he hasn't done an honorable job. So 
Um, he's been reconvened with his colleagues and they have to find a way to stop this alien or just die uh, against this alien. We learn that Nicolas Cage, uh, the crazy guy who uh, was let live from a previous group of nine because the alien thought he was crazy because he started begging for his life. And he's like, there's no honor in killing a crazy guy. How he understands this, I don't know, because the alien doesn't talk. But uh, he he's actually Jake's dad. Uh, unimportant, completely irrelevant. Anyway, keeping going ahead. We, we then uh, eventually, after this team is picked off one by one and the military is slaughtered wholesale, uh, there is the moment where, and this is not a spoiler, the alien that heals very quickly is killed by getting a bomb put inside of him. Why no one in the past, you know, why the military who's been watching this creature uh, every six years hadn't somehow thought of that before, I don't, I don't know. Uh, and why martial arts was the best way to do this, I'm also not sure because guns seem to do a pretty good job against it. Um, but all of that is completely irrelevant. What we do have is Nicolas Cage getting to play yet another crazy hermit while monologuing, while fighting in martial arts, although it's mostly a, a, a I use the word body double loosely. Now, this film is made by a director who I have complicated emotions about Dimitri Lagathetis. Now, Dimitri made, uh, has sort of made a name for himself by doing kickboxer sequels. And um, he he's also was a producer before his, his directing days. Um, he likes to cram every special effect he can in with the small amount of budget he can. So instead of buying like one great effect, he's like, no, 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 give me the sampler pack for the high school and I will put it in my movie. And by this, I mean, every single bullet has like a, a 1990s tracer twirl behind it. Um, there's constant shaky cam. Uh, the camera follows the action in so close that sometimes it has to jut backwards. Uh, and it, it flips up and down several times. You'll have 360 barrel rolls for scenes. You have, um, and if you're watching our video, Jeffrey Tucker is doing a demonstration uh, of green screen effects that uh, Dimitri Logothetis loves. Seriously, guys. Unfortunately, this is very dark, but I'm showing a, a, uh, a freeze frame of a blood effect from a dude getting punched in the face. And it legitimately looks like a MS paint, uh, yeah. like blood trail here. So, so uh, you don't think that's intentional to go with like the comic book stuff that's between some of the scenes? Could so be. I, I can tell you that the but, answer to that is no. And the reason I know okay. this, <laughs> the reason I know this, I'll, I'll just jump in here real quick. Uh, as well, jump in here. I've been talking all the time, but is because uh, for horrornews.net, I reviewed uh, the 2018 film by Lugathetis, uh, which is Kickboxer, is it? Yeah, Retaliation. Uh, Kickboxer is like the the little cousin of the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie Bloodsport. Um, the original Kickboxer, it's sort of just like another version of Bloodsport. Bloodsport's one of my favorite popcorn uh, action flicks. It's, a, it's an arena battler, there's blood, it's great. Kickboxer was also fun, not as good, but okay, uh, from 1989. 
So there have been several sequels, most of which starred Daniel Bernhardt, until Dimitri Logothetis somehow got the rights to it, and he's made two. Kickboxer Retaliation uh, is, I believe, the last one that he's done so far, and it's god-awful terrible. Um, he's, it shows that he does the same thing in all of his movies. There is the fake 3D animated blood. There is some really bad sort of After Effects Photoshop overlays, like when blood pools on the ground, there's actually no blood there. It's this, it's this like what looks to be hand-drawn shadow uh, next to the- But I, I totally head. bought in. It looks so good, so <laughs> real, so lifelike. Um, I just also want to mention this. Uh, I just want to read a snippet, and this is me being hedonistic here. Um, this is the this is me discussing the climax of Logothetis' film Kickboxer Retaliation. Uh, quote, Still, despite the insanely drawn-out plot and confusing editing, the most off-putting moment in the film comes during the climactic battle between the character Sloane and the villain Mongut. In a tone-deaf ripoff of Rocky IV, the Thailand audience begins chanting what translates to, quote, White Warrior, which is repeatedly flashed across the screen. This is unsettling enough to see blazing across your television screen like a white supremacist rallying cry, but it's also confusing because both of these characters are Caucasian. Okay, so the reason I read you that is because I want, number one, everyone to share my pain. Second, I want you to know that the, the fake blood effects and the fact that like text will like flash across the screen, um, like in the middle, like not a subtitle, but like in the middle of the thing with different colored fonts. He does that in all of his movies. Um, every movie shares these characteristics. I know what you're saying audience listeners you're saying i don't care about that stuff how are the fight scenes this is a martial arts film well here we have a conundrum because there are some interesting what i found interesting choreographed moments and there's actually some interesting play with um camera which he did in in kickboxer retaliation as well where they're really long one take fight scenes that a camera follows so they're they're kind of neat um but Two things make it very difficult to enjoy. Everything is shaky cam in the fight scenes. There is no steady camera. I don't know if they're using um, uh, any sort of steady boy or gyroscopic uh, stabilizing system because it's very bumpy and it's made worse because the film is sped up. And we see this often. Um, they sped up or clip frames out. Uh, I think the biggest one I remember is um, the Get Carter remake uh, with, um, is it Stallone in that? I forget. But it's it, it sort of like was the big case where they used sped up fight scenes. Um, and to me, it actually worked in that case because it did add it, that extra brutality. But when you use it over and over and over again and you have a shaky camera it literally feels like uh the camera is just being held by someone with a horrible palsy it's really really upsetting and also as i said the camera follows very close to the people so you can't always see 100 percent what's happening which is a shame because we do have a lot of real martial artists on screen we actually have um who is the the early to mid 2000 hot commodity in the martial arts film world, Tony Yaa uh, in this movie. Um, of course, most well known for The Protector, but also Ong Bak 1, 2, and 3. Just to touch on his role, much like Nick Cage's, they're really 
they're little more than cameos. They're cameos, but instead of like one scene, they get two or three. Um, Here, here's a game for the viewers at home and the listeners and whatever. Um, pick any movie poster for jujitsu. And before we you know, really get into it, I want you to try and guess. Try and guess who the protagonists are and who actually talks the most because you will be dead fucking wrong. So, <laughs> yeah, because uh, a great deal of the uh, dialogue comes from no one on the posters. Um, and I, I got to say, the lead character, Jake, his entire role is being confused to the level that the other characters in the movie comment to it, on it and reference it. How many times if you want to if you want to die from alcohol poisoning in under two hours? watch this movie and take a shot every time someone asks you really don't remember Th that's literally the entire script if you took what i assume is probably a 35 40 page script because of all the action scenes and you pulled out all of the the times that he's asked uh you really don't remember it would be four pages a i think I mean, they all have short-term memory loss <laughs> well they have, not only do they have short-term memory loss, but there's references, there are references to things that seem to not matter. Like, I mean, the, the entire, basically the whole plot doesn't matter, essentially, because the idea that nine people every six years are, who must have been training for more than six years, because they're all presented as martial arts masters, would get together to be executed by an alien. Uh, I don't understand the logistics of that. Like, it, it is that was that what happens on parlor is that why facebook took it off i mean is that why amazon took it off i don't understand how this could ever have happened um without somebody being like look we just gotta fucking kill this alien um because this isn't making any sense i also want to touch on the alien itself so i'm disappointed because the alien suit is actually kind of cool um it's nothing super high budget but it reminded me of like the live action version of the japanese manga and anime gyver that had mark hamill in it um, which i really loved and gyver too um it's not as cool as that but it's a neat like sort of black gun metal alien costume but it's made out of cheap plastic because you can see it chipping in scenes <laughs> right yeah like like yeah. It's, it's like flaking off yeah, it's got a lot of little like barbs and 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 sheet and like sheets and things that probably made it a little tough because um I mean they do right martial so arts. I was also unclear if it was supposed to be the alien skin or if the alien was supposed to be wearing a suit like a spacesuit because he had a helmet on but like the skin like it healed it I don't know but like let's, yeah let's. Let's touch on the elephant in the room here for so anybody that, that watches a few minutes of this movie and sees the alien. He has like a, a glass, like a glassish visor, and it's this really bad green screened, or maybe not green screen, but similar to green screening uh, technology where they put like this light blue filter over it, so it looks all the time like a superimposed, very eighties drawn on effect with this bright blue light on his face so you can't see the details it's very very disorienting in the movie because it stands out like a really bad 1980s 3d effect it's it's everything else in the scene can be physically there a prop or a set or a location um but then you've got this bright blue thing just just 
blaring in the center of the screen. Then when we get uh when we actually get to see the alien, it's like it's not a terrible design for an alien, but it's clearly like a 2D illustration that is animated very slightly to open a mouth occasionally, and it looks two-dimensional. So you have this funky, uh, those of us who've been listening for a while, uh, think back to our review of Infinite Sanit uh, 8000, because it's like modified 2D illustration, and you've got that in the middle of an actual live action film very bizarre and no one treats it as bizarre it looks like a sci-fi channel original uh from 2005 it looks like if you tried to draw modak when you were 12 yes exactly uh yeah like a like that sorry modok whatever modok yeah like that kid who sat by himself crossed with a pug uh crossed with the avatar aliens like that's i was that kid so i can say that um it's very, it's very weird, uh, and it's just, it's odd. And of course, we get, you know, cheesy effects when the alien gets injured. As Mandy said, it's like he grows back from, from the outside in, like a cat, but the suit grows back. So I guess maybe it's not a suit. Um, he also, again, I don't want to, I can't oversell how much of a clear derivative ripoff it is of Predator. Like, it, it's not even, it's not an homage because there's no. There's, there's no honor to be given from this performance. It is an alien that turns invisible, fires spinny death discs, and heals, you know, himself. Um, one of the differences, though, is that Predator, uh, John McTierney film, Die Hard, and of course Arnold Schwarzenegger and, and others are in it, uh, no, most notable for the most amazing special effects. I think it was Stan Winston. I could be skewered if that's not the case, but... You know, you've got computers, Google it. Uh, the predator in the film is actually uh, defeatable. Um, he's, of course, got the element of surprise. He has, um, Jeff is nodding here, he's got, uh, he has advanced weaponry, but mm-hmm. he's actually defeatable, and it's proven when Schwarzenegger's character yeah. defeats it. He takes harm, he can be injured. Yeah. Which, and- I, which to me, like, the invulnerable, like, Oh, and you didn't mention this is like a Mortal Kombat ripoff too. Yeah, uh, it's kind of like oh, we're doing a Mortal Kombat tournament, but spoiler alert, you lose because the enemy is invincible. It's boring. It <laughs> it's is. not interesting. We get these really great fighters doing these awesome fights, and it's always irrelevant. Yeah, um, you're like oh, I don't care. Like I don't care about the characters because they never did any character development. Like nobody has a personality or Cage. point of view. I loved Nicolas Cage's character. Okay. Every time I say anything. I'm just going to do this for myself. Anytime I say anything, it, it's going to be ink, uh, excluding Nicolas Cage. So uh, <laughs> there were no no characters had any personality in this movie, ink. Okay? Just as a shorthand, we don't have to say it every time. Um, yeah. yeah he... So they, they, they failed to like, they failed to make any character interesting. So ink, uh, you don't care when they die. You don't care when they fight. There's no tension. You're like, you know, they're going to lose. It's boring. It's just boring. <laughs> yeah. And and it also makes it it's just there's no there's no thrill of the combat because like an arena fighter like Mortal Kombat or Bloodsport where it's or, or Karate Kid uh, or the Cobra Kai series like where you've got a couple of people fighting and there's an upper hand that's gained and lost and gained and lost there is never is. The whole movie is just um, 
I'm reminded of a, a 50s Japanese film that got translated into American as um, uh, uh, Prince of Space. Mystery Science Theater did a great riff of Prince of Space. But the whole time the, in the dub, the alien villains are shooting at the Prince of Space. And he says over and over again, your weapons have no effect on me. Until eventually the Rift Tracks crew is like, Jeez, your weapons have no effect. What are you, come on, man. It's that. This whole movie is that. Nothing matters until yeah. the final scene. And 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 that makes and that because that's the core of the film, it makes it dull. There's a lot of other things though that we need to talk about that also make it questionable. And that is the entire fact that the, military... the entire film. <laughs> okay. There I'm so frustrated by this film because it has so much entertainment potential. I'm so happy I picked this. I'm so happy I picked this because it is, it is just a mess. Yeah, it's it's Greg's really hurt because he's the first one to have bought it, and I I think um, I think think I'm the only person that that bought it. I bought it too. Um, Oh, I couldn't. And and listeners, you know, oftentimes I get review copies of these films from the distributors or filmmakers. Uh, Sometimes I buy them, especially if it's a film that I, I already love and enjoy. But sometimes, especially when it's a new film, they don't want to give screeners because for two reasons. One, uh, they feel like a lot of people are going to want to see it because of whoever's in it or whoever made it or whatever the movie is. So they're like, buy it. You're going to buy it anyway. I'm not going to bother to give you a copy and, and risk losing one sale. Also, they often don't give screeners when the movie's really bad. Because when the movie's really bad and they give a screener, they're afraid of what the reviewer will say they could cause other people not to buy the movie. I'm not saying that that's the case with this. Uh, it could be. They You're just even... saying it's like really closely related to like the NDAs with cyberpunk 2077. Yes, exactly. Like there may be an apology uh, in, in the works from Dimitri Logothetis, but given the fact that I never got an apology for a kickboxer retaliation in 2018, I'm not holding my breath. Um, how do you how do you write just talking about Dimitri? How do you write a comic? And I read the synopsis and I want to read the comic. But how do you write a comic and then make the movie about your comic and fuck it up this hard? Like it's almost like it's 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 like it's like he never read his own work. It's just it's absolutely insane. Yeah, and it's interesting because and Mandy mentioned this. A lot of the in between shots where you're transitioning to another scene are like comic book panels. Um, so it's got this sort of like mm, like it's supposed to be a comic book the problem is is that it doesn't deal with traditional comic book things like superheroes or or monsters i mean there is an alien it's a science fiction thing but all of the illustrations for the most part are of the wood like the jungle or like a character walking um it's it's just really weird and there's a lot of frames and it and usually there's just one word in the cutscene that's like that is is not referenced for too long so like sometimes it'll be like later in the jungle or whatever and i'm like okay then other times it'll be like time to die and i'm like what what is that a place like is that i don't understand what you're telling me or the worst in the in the early in the film when it it transitions and the panel says brax b-r-a-x and they've never said that name to my knowledge in this and i'm like and they don't explain it for like a long time and then eventually one of the characters says it, it's brax and meaning they're talking about the alien which somehow has the name brax which sounds incredibly 1993 
You mean um, you wouldn't name the murderous, like, executing monster that comes to your <laughs> every six years? I mean, they, well, you know what I'd probably call it? Predator. Um, like, <laughs> you know? Like, I don't... Maybe uh, Brax is like an acronym, like, Biomutant Radical Assassin Killer or something. Something Extreme! Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, Seven X's. It's just, I don't understand. Like, just, and the fact that it's in, like, a Buddhist temple, like, you could have it... Like you should have had, like they could have done something different that wouldn't have been so derivative, even though it's just changing the paint job kind of thing. Like call this movie yeah. Gun Fu and just give everyone a gun. Um, I, f- okay, I found a movie so <laughs> I found so extra weird about that is that they had these beautiful like vistas, which were very mm-hmm. clearly like CGI, mm-hmm. like but gorgeously done, gorgeous lighting very nice like layering of like distanced item like buildings like in the in the distance going out to the horizon like there was a lot put into that and then they like slapped in these really cheap like cheesy looking comic book panels like in between and like I got the feeling like halfway through that they almost did it as like like an oops or like a fix like we ran out of money or like something like something went wrong or like the production kind of got shut down at some point and they had to like fill stuff in like that they hadn't had time to do like what do they call that like the b unit or like the like second like, unit or B-roll, the second yeah. unit or stuff like like didn't exist so they're like oh what do we do uh i guess we have all these like um yeah uh, like, like all the panels of storyboard panels like let's just throw those in there like yeah, it was just very like juxtaposed the art, as far as like the art and styling. You mentioned the the art looking cheap, and and for for illustrators and graphic artists, we'll recognize this very early, especially since we get a montage of these effects in the opening mm-hmm. credits, which are overlong. Um, they're they're really a filter for the most part. So they'll take a photograph, and then they use Photoshop or other program filters to make it look sort of painted, sort of drawn. They blur it up a bit, and then. Um, in this case, in some other cases, uh, somebody might go in and and add a black outline around those shapes to make it look comic booky. It's like a it's like a a, a pre cell shaded version of cell shading that you see in some video games and even some films, animated films like like Borderlands or something, um, where it can look kind of cool when it's actually animated on a 3D surface, uh, and then it looks like a stylistic choice. But when you actually just use those filters. Uh, it just looks cheap because a lot of us have had experience seeing this and since the 90s. And so we know what it looks like and we can clock it right away. Um, it's just, it's bad. And then, as you said, there are some scenes that look good. Like there's one scene where it shows the gateway opening up in a flashback and the alien coming out. Now, when the gate's opening, it's like this stone circle that spins. I'm like, oh, they did a decent job on that. Like I could see that in another movie. But then the alien shows up and it's this horrendous green screening where he's like walking through space. Like it looks like um, like teenagers, uh, the next mutation in the 90s, the, the live action short-lived series, they, they would not have touched it. Like it just was no bueno. Um, and we also just, there's so much unnecessary stuff in this movie. Like um, the military at all, there's the female intelligence officer who, by the way, this is, <laughs> this, this is, magical how how dimitri looks how mandy is screaming behind her mic they they manage to shoehorn in uh the military in general to give it a lot of bodies to get killed but then they 
they actually this is what i don't understand that dimitri does um and i'm sure he's a wonderful person i'd love to talk to him on the show i'm sure we've lost to talk about but i don't understand this tendency which is let's throw filler characters in that don't really have any backstory or purpose other than to be bodies and then film scenes of them talking why would you do that there's no purpose so when jake gets picked up uh by he gets picked up by like a fisherman and his wife and there's some unfunny comedy relief in there and then he's dropped off at the military and the military want to question him and the female intelligence officer who by the way has intelligence officer emblazoned on her jacket which i'm pretty sure i mean maybe that's why the u.s intelligence has been rough around the edges for the past 30 years maybe you should take the intelligence officer tag off of your clothing um she's seems like she's gonna give jake like the hard once over like the the bad cop routine to try and get information about what he is because she thinks he's lying about not remembering stuff all she does is ask him a couple of questions for like three minutes in two more than once and then there's a scene of her talking to another military guy who's credited and does not have any purpose in the film and is like i just need more time did you ask him about the tattoo i haven't had a chance yet or i was going to You're like what have you done <laughs> nothing has happened i don't understand her purpose she disappears i don't think she's killed in the movie but we never see her again oh no she's no, killed she gets she gets she's like yeah. okay so she gets hit by one of the three like uh like ninja stars that actually hits a person like so his his accuracy oh. is like three in like thirty thousand, so he's not a very impressive shot. No, he's <laughs> she's like, one of the people that she. He got is. kicked out of the stormtroopers for for being bad at aiming. Like <laughs> yeah. this is how horrendous it is. Um, but like it was so painful for me, like to hate this like female character. There's like what like two of them in the whole movie, yeah. and I was like, she's so horrible. Well, like, two and a half. Just, um, two and a half. Think- yeah. Like the other one doesn't doesn't speak as far as I remember, no. like vaguely. I no. like the fisherman's and... wife more. Oh, I'm than sorry. I liked... The um, fisherman's the... wife is yeah. great, and she and the fisherman too. They both did great. Yeah, yeah. and they it's, and it's awesome. their only movie. It is yeah. their only movie. Mary, they're uh, so good. Macario, Macario. Ugh. I say it, but, but yeah, it, it was like... just it was just she was so bad. Yeah, like, we're talking, I don't know. It's like clumsy writing. It's like you were just man. Or like that direction, like it was just she was so annoying. She was was so ineffectual at her job. She was just like so she she's people might recognize her. Her name is uh is is uh Marie Avgaropoulos. Uh, I'm not great with my Greek names, but uh, she she plays a character Octavia Blake in uh, the series The 100 on the CW. So people people have seen her before. She's very pretty. I'm sure she's capable, but I wouldn't know it from this film because it is a huge train wreck. Um, and also, uh, we were mentioning it. Um, you're, you're mentioning the the other character. Uh, there's another female character. Juju Chan Setso. Yeah, she gets a couple of small lines where she she's she does fight scenes. She's a, a great martial artist, it seems. Um, she has been in a couple of decent movies. Um, she's in a, the movie Woo Assassins from 2019. She was in the sort of pseudo-sequel to Crouching Tiger, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Sword of Destiny from 2016. Um, so she's And she's got upcoming films. So she's uh, a great... She's a great addition. But they give I, her- I mean, 
I do I do think it's worth mentioning since we're shooting all over this film that everyone in it is very talented in like yeah. stunt work and fight choreography and they have talents that are it's not not, not fault. featured in it's this not their film. fault um it's and I mean Rick Yun plays one of the military guys. Uh, he he was Takeshi in Ninja Assassin. He uh, was Johnny Tran in the Fast and the Furious film. Um, he was in Die Another Day in two thousand two. I mean he's he's a good actor and he's a great uh, fight scene um, participant. Um, I just I just don't understand. Some people are they're just heavily wasted. Um, for example, I don't know if i think it might be june sassatorn is the other female fighter from the group of nine warriors um i'm not sure if it is this is her only role um she's very beautiful she seems very capable she has a great fight scene against the alien one of the few that they for the most part didn't botch she's given i think zero lines right i think she literally has no lines in the entire film um yet we have the lead jake saying i don't know about 360 million times you could have given her one uh that's okay like just anything um and also it seems a little when you have when all of your leads that have any sort of power are male and white passing um i guess they're not all male and white passing because we have tony ya and ricky Owen, so i guess that, that's not true but they're all male how have we how have we not mentioned Eddie Steeples. I was waiting to see if if he like, even got mentioned. I oh, so, maybe it's just because I am like a like an old like my name is Earl fan, and yeah. I was just delighted with the surprise of him being in this cast. Uh, I'm delighted. It, I don't know the whole time because he was just ridiculous. Him like just very much. A ridiculous so character ad libs um a lot and and the ad libs are the best part of the film but i will have mm -hmm. to say his shoehorning in of like the only the only black supporting character is, who happens to be a complete and utter incompetent moron yes that was that was not a, um, a good part of it but it there was things happening he had some kind of character like he's it, he was interesting He's the translator. Right? Like, so he's a little interesting. Doesn't he... know how to speak the language. Like, a little bit. But, like, what they were talking about was pretty out there, I think, and crazy. And he was getting, like, some of the key words just being like, I don't know. And then at one point, he was just messing with them. And at one like, point, he was just, he's like, just drinking yeah. poison, apparently. Um, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He presumably dies at the end of the film. Yeah, that, like, that was nice. Yeah. Swigging poison. Um, yeah, so yeah. his character, if anybody has played, I know we're doing a lot of video game talking, but there's a reason. These films mm -hmm. conjure it, um, which we'll get to. If anybody's played Final Fantasy thirteen, I forget his name, uh, the, the the black character in that, kind of got ripped apart because he's only there for comedy relief. He has mm -hmm. a bird that lives in his hair, and um, it's just, I mean, I don't think he was, he, I actually sort of have a soft spot for that character, but he was really annoying because all he does is scream. It's like this sort of... Um, this really bad Jim Crow callback that is sometimes mm. in films, especially, if, I was going to say, I'll say currently, especially foreign films, because of the heightened awareness in the United States, and uh, and it's, but it's, it still happens in the U.S. all the time. Um, he just feels wrong, because mm -hmm. he's such a good, he's such a good actor. He's um, so amazing. And he's so funny, and I, I appreciate him trying so hard. I mean, he hammers in. I'm sure that for all mm -hmm. the, the 13 jokes that he ad-libbed that we saw on screen, he probably yeah. cast, you know, 300 during the production. 
Um, but watching him like be told to run and to run like a weirdo away from danger, just mm-hmm. it was just really weird. I, I was like, oof, this is this 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 didn't age well when it was made. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, you make some really good points about that. I think I was just so. Related. delighted that there was something that I could connect with from like another show I liked more yeah. and didn't really think about um a lot of the implications that you're, you're you know you're pointing out to other black history or like um stereotypes in films and and I mean and it should be so uh, I also want to give a note to to Ryan Taron who is um uh he's another stunt performer and he's plays Brax he's in the alien suit and he did stunts on so many great movies Thor Ragnarok the Aquaman from 2018 Alien Covenant I'm just a a really he's the stunt double for Jason Momoa so like he's very capable um and was he also just another character in the film I could have sworn I saw him as just one of the soldiers as well, Ryan Taron. I, I absolutely, I absolutely would not be surprised. Um, yeah. In fact, you'll notice this is some of the. If you're not super familiar with the production of film, especially fight films where you ha- or war films, we have a ton of people. Um, you'll notice, like when the soldiers are fighting the special military or the special martial artists, a lot of the soldiers, um, one will be just like a normal guy wearing khakis, but then the next one will have like an American flag, like face mask. And then the next one will have big goggles on. It's because it's not just to sort of create some semblance of uniqueness among the cast. It's actually more often because they are using the same actors again and again. So they do something to cover their face or change their outfit. So you get um, what looks like a 30 person fight scene with a cast of 12. Uh, or less or whatever the case might be so it's pretty common i would be surprised actually if he didn't play one of the soldiers in that especially since he's a skilled uh martial artist and and, uh stunt person um and that is one of the things that I, i when i first watched this film i sort of had the inclination to say this film was soulless because it's so derivative but i i think actually saying that about a dimitri logothetis production is kind of unfair because I actually do think that they really do put effort and work into the movies. I just, as a, as a writer, as a comedian, as someone who watches a lot of films just for work as well as pleasure, I get frustrated when the actual story and narrative structure and presentation is overlooked when other things are, are heavily detailed. So it's like if you had taken any filmmaker who sort of gets it at a certain point will understand that you have to have certain basic needs in the narrative structure met before an audience will be able to enjoy your anything else because there was just too much downtime between the fight scenes and then too many things during the fight scenes that didn't make sense or as we mentioned before and Jeff mentioned it didn't have any sort of tension or importance um Tag me in. Tag me in. You're on the wrong. There you go. Bam. Tag in. Yeah, Jeff, you want to touch on that? Oh man, I, I could go on for hours about what was wrong with this film. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and keep it brief though. So, uh, you mentioned earlier or m- multiple times that a lot of the dialogue was, "Do you remember this? No, I don't remember that. Really? What about this? Do you remember this? No, I don't remember that. 
<laughs> you know, rabbits, rabbits, rabbits. Uh, it's, it's weird that you don't remember all these things. Uh, do you remember it now? Uh, no, still don't remember. Shh. All of the dialogue is that. <laughs> if you Wait, what do you mean you didn't figure out that he was your dad with no, like... <laughs> No development or anything of that storyline at all. But here's a little tiny cutscene. Like so, if you take what? all of that out and just leave it and just like put nothing back in, the movie's more watchable because it at least goes quicker between the action scenes. Um, but if you wanted to actually make like a good film, you'd put in a little bit of personality to some of these characters. You'd give them some something like a point of view. Um, the whole point in a story of having a character with amnesia, which is used a lot, is so that characters can tell them things that should be obvious to them. That's the whole purpose of it. It's it's an exposition, it's an exposition tool. shortcut, yeah. It's, it, it's so, <laughs> when you do it, you can't, the whole point is to then fill in those exposition points for us, the viewers. Not to have every piece of dialogue be, I don't know, why don't you know Please tell me something. Tell they me a never story. Tell him. They, they never they, tell him anything. Supposedly, Jake, the lead character, supposedly made the plan that they're supposed to follow. I still don't understand what the plan was. No one ever tells him. They say he's the rabbit. I'm like, but what's the alien? Is the alien a, a, a dog? Like, what? I, I don't understand. Is 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 is, 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 a, is he Elmer Fudd? Like, I don't get what's happening and they constantly that's one of the transition words that's on those comic panels over and over again rabbit rabbit hole rabbit i'm like just just, just tell me a story where's winnie the pooh like what's happening give me movie? the exposition you were meant to tell this character who has amnesia it's infuriating so that's 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 the that's my first one uh the second one is so the the mechanism of both the Predator and like Mortal Kombat, these like arena things is you introduce a bunch of characters uh, and generally you put up two characters that you like at some point to fight each other, right? Like that's kind of how it works. Uh, in lieu of that, you give us at least characters that have like a hope of winning, right? Like um, you have like Mortal Kombat, you have like Son Sonya fights Kano and you're like, you really hate him and you love her. You care about the outcome of this fight. You're like, I'm really invested. Like, she's got to kick his ass because he is so disgusting. Um, there's none of that in this film. Uh, and, and not only that, the Predator, he's terrible. <laughs> the yeah. the, the uh, Brax, he loses a fight to an, uh, an elderly lady with a shotgun. Can you imagine in the Predator film if the Predator had gotten shot down by an elder? It would suck all of the fun out of that film. Listen, I've it, been to Koreatown. <laughs> And no predator could steal anything from a bodega in Koreatown. They that is that is the only piece of realism in this film. <laughs> okay, um, my mistake. That I underestimated. I'm not she's Korean. I'm just saying that that's my that's that's sort of the vibe I, they were giving off. I this. have underestimated this character, but my point is, is he misses all of his shurikens. He basically loses every fight. Almost he only every wins fight because of his superpowers. Exactly. He yeah. like is immortal. Basically, he can't be killed. Uh, and it's just Except like, when he's not, and like you said, Jeff just gets shot out of nowhere and has no reflexes. And <laughs> yeah, it's 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 boring. It's just uninteresting. It's like uh, you, you you've stolen a premise, but you didn't get the predator. You didn't get why it was interesting. It was like the predator was in danger too, and he was like you know he was like a very good hunter, and 
uh, anyways, <laughs> can, talk, can can somebody clarify for me if this was made clear and I and I missed it or misunderstood? So the reason the film was called Jujitsu is because apparently when this whole thing started and the first alien came, and I don't know if that's supposed to be the same alien or what, but it it taught the people jujitsu and that's where it started which by the way that's a whole other bunch of problems oh and see um, i took it as it like imbued them with jujitsu like jujitsu was a magical force and i'm like then why uh, can no one in this goddamn movie fight worth anything why are they all just being slaughtered by this alien yeah. so so regard okay so that that kind of would make sense too because it does seem like there's this sort of imbue that the way they said it sounds like that um why like i know that we're not we're supposed to not understand but the thing is the predator we do understand on some level and it's expanded in the predator 2 with danny glover which is actually i think a superior film uh age-wise like if you go back and watch them the first one is entertaining but it's it's a lot of schwarzenegger and his military team running around doing nothing regarding predator which is dull and dragging around a poor native woman um but the sequel is of course much more interesting in the inner city and has Danny Glover. So that's pretty awesome. But anyway, you understand them because there seems to be, there seem to be rules. And there's also this, this sort of idea of, of, unf of, of, of levels of fairness. It's not fair, but there are rules. Like if you, you can defeat them. And if you do great, you win. Um, so like, but in this one, they pretend there are rules, they say there are rules, but there seem to be no rules. It seems to just be the alien shows up, um, like, I don't know, maybe he has a bad job and, is, and he thinks his wife's cheating on him and he gets drunk and he goes and he's like, every six years, I have to let off steam by killing nine morons on this backwoods planet. Maybe that's the backstory, but I didn't get it. There wasn't anything. So it just seemed... Well, so here's here's the big problem. So like you've set up like this almost like an arena fight, right? It's like there's nine people that are going to fight this guy. But the goal for them is to lose. Like they need to lose and then he buggers off, right? And it's just like it's like it's it's, it's reversed, right? It, yeah, it's like okay, uh what what am I supposed to be interested why do they have in to here? No martial arts. Why can't yeah, why can't they like just a 9-year-old with emphysema who runs at him with a sharpened pencil? It's like that's still an honorable exactly. death. Like So yeah, so why not, you know, like rewrite this thing? Let's do the rewrite, reverse it, like make it so that there's some reason for them to win and that we want them to win and that we're engaged in it somehow that we care about the outcome. Yeah, maybe like, the alien doesn't want to die, but in order to keep the, the planet Earth alive, they have to kill the alien. So the aliens chucked on this planet every six years and they feel bad, but they still have to kill it and they have to fight. That'd be more interesting. But this movie has no room for interesting or 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 uniqueness in that way. You know, um, maybe maybe we'll have to like do a bonus like little just 10 minute episode where we all read the comic and we just kind of real quick was the comic good? Yes, was the comic good? Yes, was the no. And and that's yeah, and then I we just kind of decide listeners Shoot us, shoot us a message. Tag us on Instagram at Colton Classic Podcast. Send us a, a message at Colton Classic Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, find us on Facebook at Colton Classic Podcast. Uh, follow me, Nate Wyckoff, uh, at Twitter. Just let us know. Would you like to see that? Because we would absolutely do that. I want to say one more thing before we get to the wrap up of this film. There, there are artificial problems in this that make it infuriating if you can't tell that already one of which is 
they have just a head cloak, a cowl that looks like simple fabric, that if they put it over themselves, they become invisible to the alien. Now, we it sounds like this was given to them as part of the deal, like they use these or whatever, and then they challenge the alien by taking it off. But what it means is, is that you have characters just standing five feet away from their friends getting slaughtered, and they do nothing. Nothing. Jake watches Nicolas Cage in the... By the way, Nicolas Cage is, he's not phoning it in here. He's actually acting. In, and I, I sort of wonder, you always think, okay, ink. well, maybe, maybe it's just a poach, <laughs> right, ink. Maybe it's just a paycheck movie. But also, it could be that, hey, he's thinking, when am I ever going to get into a martial arts film? You know what I mean? This is the closest I'm going to get. Yeah, I'll do it. And it's with Yeah, when was the last time Cage, like, fought anyone in anything and right. like, I, like, I'd, I'd be asked to remember I mean yeah and while he had a body double um, for most of the scenes he does do especially in the alien fight scene where he's killed he does do a lot of the moves and a lot of the stuff um, and that was one of the few practical effects is when the alien kills him it's with a neck wound there is real blood and it looks appropriate I'm glad that they gave that to Nick Cage um, but that was my favorite fight scene. And the thing is, Nick Cage is so, we mentioned this in the last movie, he's so far above the production quality wise that he actually stands out in a way that's jarring to the viewer. Um, it's just he's too good for the rest of the film. Um, and just this weird thing where you have, you have these characters like, and, and the whole, the chosen one thing is stupid with, um, uh, with uh, the Jake character because he really isn't impressive in any way. And his big, um, I'm going to be like, I beat the alien moment comes from him as he's being choked to death, like uh, remembering that this guy was his dad. And we don't even know if he remembered. He just knows, like, he's your dad. And then he just punches the alien away. Like, it just, it's so... But there's also right. fire... Uh, yeah. They really like the oh, alien can't see his weakness fire? is fire. <laughs> Not even fire. It's almost like another hood thing. They're like can't yeah. see if he's also can't see if he's in another side of fire. He hunts in the day. What? He seems to be blinded by the fire. The yeah. sun, staring at the sun is so much more blinding than looking into a fire. Yeah. That the idea that that would ever it's just so implausible. It's it makes if anybody was upset in in uh m night uh Shyamalan's uh oh. science film if anybody was upset that aliens tried to take over a planet when they're deathly allergic to water i this, have not seen it but i definitely thought about that when they the world, revealed this right? alien had a like, problem with fire right it's it, it's it's just it's so ridiculous um, because I'm sorry, how many, we don't know how many generations he's been doing this, but there's a fucking temple built around it. So it's probably been a long time. You tell me nobody figured out that he doesn't like fire in all that time. Like I'm starting to think maybe it was just a way to get rid of nine people from the village that you hated, right? Like it's just, Hey, there's a party up at the old mansion. Why don't you go check it out? It only happens every <laughs> six years. Um, it's just, it's 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 ludicrous. It's completely ludicrous. And Nicolas Cage, I'm, I can't even say he saves this film. He's enjoyable while he's in this film. Um, it's sort of a slap in the face to the guest stars. And you know, Dimitri Logothetis is like 
sort of the guest star cameo master. I mean, in Kickboxer Retaliation, there was, of course, Jean-Claude Van Damme. And then there was also like Mike Tyson and lots of other people had these guest spots. This is similar. Tony Yaw's in it, but he disappears for a long time for no reason. Nick Cage is in it. Um, it's interesting because I don't know. I mean, Nick Cage has had a long career and he has amazing films and films that are just sort of like, wow, that was weird. Um, which I think this probably falls into the latter. But Tony Yaw, I don't, I don't know. I'm not like a, a expert on his career so far, but he did have an issue uh, with production during Ongbok two and three uh, that caused him to leave films for three years. And the story is, is that he went to a monastery and trained as a monk during that time um, because he was like, he life was gone for him, and he had become a superstar at that point. So who knows what the backstory is, but. Um, Whereas the crew said that he was just incredibly difficult to work with and wouldn't show up. So I don't know if this is a fall from grace moment or if this is a climbing back moment because he's done many films since then, but none have been to that caliber. Um, and I, it's just frustrating when you see people who are very capable, um, like, like a martial artist and they're not getting really the roles or the credit. Like, I don't think, I mean, he's very, he's clearly very skilled in this film but I don't feel like his fight scenes were very memorable. Um, he just was there uh, and it became a cameo and he showed up occasionally and they didn't really give him any lines. I think he says, um, you got to come with me or something like that. Like just not much. Uh, also just to throw it out there. Um, a great deal of this movie must be dubbed because the audio is off sync sometimes. Um, and it's just a little bit, but it also could be because they're doing the sped up film so much during the fight scenes. Um, they, you can't speed up the audio, obviously. It sounds wrong. So instead, you have to painstakingly go through and match it up with the, uh, with the, the crashes, the motions. It's all that folly work. That doesn't seem to have been done totally right. So there's moments where things look wrong. There's moments where um, because the film is sped up, when a character is supposed to react to getting hit, it's very clear that they did it late uh, or, or off somehow. It's just stuff looks wrong. So even the things that are done by very talented people, as Greg said in this movie, are sort of botched um, and it just hampers it. I would actually love to see all the footage from this film given to somebody else who's mm. more experienced with um, old school traditional martial arts fight films uh like hey give it to sue hark see what he would do with it right i mean like he has the time or like he would want to but um have it recut and re-edited just the fight scenes alone it would add such another level to this film to make it probably make it um watchable whereas i feel like the last 20 30 minutes of this movie even though it's solid fights it's a it's a struggle to get through it's a real struggle uh yeah so we're going to move on uh, to the end here of the recommendations. Mandy, I'm going to start with you. Mandy, would you recommend jujitsu uh, and why? I would not. Because of all the discussion that we just had, I don't think it's even really worth going in to see like the artistic choices that were made or anything. Um, Nick Cage was really cool. He did what he could with the the character that he was given and um i applaud him for that but the rest of it was a hot pile yeah and, and i also want to mention another actor we didn't mention who's in this and, and is sort of the 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 leader of the martial artist group is um 
uh, played by Frank Grillo, who is uh, recognizable to me because he played Crossbones in um, Captain America Civil War and, and another of the um, Marvel films before the Russo brothers insanely killed his character essentially when he was introduced. And I still have not forgiven them for that. So uh, maybe they can bring him back in the Falcon and Winter Soldier Disney Plus series because you're still on my shit list, guys. So this movie, um, I will go next. I, I don't know if you, for some reason, watch Kickboxer Retaliation or Kickboxer Redemption, the other, the, the, the other two films, um, recent films from Dimitri Logothetis, if you liked those movies, um, I actually think this film is more interesting than those because at least there's this weird sci-fi element and it's something that you wouldn't expect to be in these films. Uh, but I actually think that a lot of the fight scenes are worse in this than they are in those. So it's sort of a toss up. If you enjoy, like from a technical standpoint, I could see showing someone one of the fight scenes, one of the long shot fight scenes. And we didn't mention, uh, he also experiments with a, a first person video game style moment where we actually, the camera actually is like a GoPro or something attached to, um, I don't know if it's really him or not, but the lead. And then we see just his hands as he's fighting and then he'll fall back down and the camera will disconnect and we'll watch him from a third person before he falls back on it. It's actually quite creative. And I applaud Dimitri Ligothetis for trying new things. Um, and I think that that is his strength. And I'm sure those are the kind of things that, that go on his reel that get production money because it is interesting. Um, and, and I was a strong skeptic of the first person sort of video game style filmography when it was first, I mean, it's been tried before, but the biggest theater release in the US was the first Doom film uh, with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And actually that was the best part of the film for me. I was shocked at how much I actually enjoyed it. And then of course uh, it gave birth later to Hardcore Henry, which is completely in that and very much adrenaline and an interesting film. Uh, check it out. I would say, check that out instead of this film. Um, uh, but I do think if you were to just take out a couple of the standout fight scenes in this film, while the cinematography, while it suffers because of the questionable cinematography and the overdone gimmicky cinematography, like shaky cam and sped up and all those sort of things, it is impressive from a technical feat. So I applaud that. If you want to fast forward, give it a shot. But I think there's too much in this to bother. Go watch Hardcore Henry if you want that kind of creative action and go watch 1989's Bloodsport with Jean-Claude Van Damme if you want a good arena battler. I love it. I mean, it's it put Kumite on the map. Um, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to be mean, but somebody can do a continuation of Bloodsport, but please don't let it be Dimitri Logothetos unless he fixes some of these core narrative and cinematography problems because that would break my heart. Jeff Tucker. Who would you recommend Jiu-Jitsu to and why? One type of person. A person who is studying film and wants a master class on how not to make a film. Because uh, this actually really is, is pretty good for that. How not to do exposition. How not to do character development. How not to do dialogue. Uh, how not to do special effects in 2020. Uh, you know, I, I can go on. It's like, it really is just like every decision seems to just be wrong in constructing something that's entertaining to watch that draws in a crowd. I, I honestly cannot imagine a person 
watching this film and getting sucked in because there's literally nothing there to work with. Um, it, it would, it would blow my mind if somebody watched this and was like exhorbed by this complete lack of story and, uh, you know, constant, uh, requests for knowledge that a person doesn't have that then we don't get any of, and it makes me mad. <laughs> and yeah. so, yeah, that's it. Just watch this film and be like, yeah, I'm never going to do it that way. When, when I was looking at the effects of this film, like I said, a lot of the, the sort of after effects prepackaged style 3d animated stuff um it's interesting that if you had shown me the first 15 minutes of this not even the first 15 minutes the first alien fight scene which unfortunately comes like 20 or 30 minutes into the movie if you'd shown me that and said this is a student production or this is a fan film i would have actually been intrigued because there's promise and with limited budget dimitri lugathetis really tries to pack in a lot unfortunately he needs to pare it back because it cheapens the film and he's focusing on the wrong thing when he puts that extra time into that and extra money into that. Um, it's, 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 up to, it's up to you, Greg. Greg Johnson, rounding this out. Who would you recommend Jiu-Jitsu 2022 and why? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote from The Office here. Um, imagine this is screaming um, a, a Michael Scott quip uh, no God no God please no 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 um, I yeah this I would not wish this movie on anyone it is absolutely miserable um, if you're a Nick Cage fan look at the scenes though like we've discussed um, he really he really <laughs> takes nothing and turns it into something um I think Tad said on a previous episode, you can tell when Nicolas Cage is not in a good film because he just kind of, he's somewhere else. And he is definitely on another plane in this film, like having, having his own fun. And, and that's um, true. And I think that's why it's enjoyable. Like there's a scene where he's cooking a fish yeah. over a fire, but the fish is clearly not a real fish. <laughs> yeah. um, we can see the like, I don't know if it's like a broom handle that's shoved through this prop or something inside of it, but he's having a grand old time. He's doing a fear and loathing in Las Vegas touch while he's smoking a cigarette. And it's fun to watch. And um, I mean, he gets a couple of those. Ink. I'll Remember <laughs> ink. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll take a page from uh, Jeff and do a, a mocking recommendation of if you really liked Tales from the Earth Sea, that animated film. Um, you'll love jujitsu because it's another film that cannot fucking hope to properly adapt its source written material and just, just shits all over it. Um, dig it studio Ghibli. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. They, everyone, everyone gets one, one bad one. And that's a uh, studio Ghibli's for sure. Um, to give alternates, um, jujitsu, it's easy. Outcast, just watch Outcast. Him and Hayden Christensen are are phenomenal together. It's a lot of fun. Um, if you don't want to see Nicolas Cage and you want a little bit of kind of samurai swordplay mystical bits, um, Forty Seven Ronin with Ken Reeves, um, less mystical and also with Ken Reeves, um, Man of Tai Chi, which I think that's his directorial debut, right? Yeah. That was great. Um, so those are some options. Um, but I think to kind of, you know, we're here at the end of the Nicolas Cage month. Um, 
I this film still fits in my wheelhouse of why I love watching all of Nicolas Cage's you know filmography. Um, I highly recommend you take a look at your own collection of films because I assume if you're listening watching this you have an appreciation of cinema. Figure out who your Nick Cage is. Someone that you look at your collection and you're like, I already have seen and own most of their stuff. Um, I think I'm just going to watch everything else. It definitely leads you on a very fun journey. All right. Well, that is an excellent way to leave off of our Nicolas Cage New Year, New Nick Month. This is, of course, uh, in celebration of Nicolas Cage, uh, January. And I want to also say we are donating money to uh, the Living Desert uh, Rehabilitation and, um, and Care Zoo in Palm Desert, California. They do great work with an amazing variety of desert species, uh, including big cats. And that's in honor of uh, Nicolas Cage for his, his great work in cinema, as well as his work to preserve animals and their awesomeness. And we thank you, Nick, and we really appreciate it. We hope you have a great year and we can't wait to see what you do. And to our listeners, as always playing us out is all about evil by the chud. Remember, you can reach out to us at Colton Classic Podcast on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook, Colton Classic Podcast. You can find us at coltonclassic.com where you can listen and subscribe. We also have our uh, many of our episodes up on YouTube, and that will be coming uh, a regular thing where we post our episodes up there so you can see our smiling faces as well as those of our interviewees. And I can't wait to see what's in store. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.